0: Ladies and gentlemen, ladies and gentlemen, this is the Black Baseball Mixtape. I am your host, Cheats, and as always, the Mixtape Talk is brought to you by the Family Podcast Network. I am gonna ask a quick favor before we get started. This podcast has been going down for several months. We've had several amazing guests. If you can, please go to anywhere that podcasts are available. Hit like, hit subscribe. If you rate and review us, it helps get the message further out there. So please do that as well. It's the only time I'm going to ask on this episode. I'll ask on every other episode, but it's the only time I'll ask on this episode. So please subscribe, rate, review, like us, follow us on social media. Today is, is, is a special day. We have a very, very special interview. I like to joke around and say, Every time we come on a mixtape talk, we're making history. But let's be honest, we're not making history every time. We're making history today. We have Coach Bianca Smith on the program. For those of you who don't know, Bianca Smith, Coach Smith, is the first African-American woman to ever be named a pro baseball coach in Major League Baseball. It is living history as we speak. She's several years younger than I am. So that also makes me feel a certain type of way. But, Coach, welcome to the Mixtape Talk. Welcome to the Black Baseball Mixtape. It is an honor, truly an honor to have you.
1: Well, thanks for having me on. It's an honor to be on.
0: Let's talk about life right now, and let's talk about how life has changed for you. It probably goes without saying, let's just say, three years ago, Coach Smith is, is working hard, working, you know, helping out teams, doing what, you, doing what you do. But I don't exactly know when. You tell me, when did life really, really change for you? And now, everywhere, if you look up the history books, you can see Coach Bianca Smith. So tell me how it happened in regards to, not the grind, we'll get to the journey, but how it happened when you, when you got, like, that first call to say, this is really going to happen. And talk to me a little bit about how life has changed since then.
1: So, yeah, it's been crazy and it still kind of is. Um, I definitely remember. So when I first got even the initial email asking if I wanted to interview for a position, I was kind of blown away because I actually didn't apply for a position. What? With the oh, okay. yeah, that's a whole story I never, I never applied. Um, one, a woman from HR actually saw my resume on LinkedIn reached out and asked, hey, would you be interested in interviewing for a baseball ops position? And at the time, like, I didn't really want to go back into baseball ops, like the front office, I wanted to coach, but it's like, this is a good opportunity to network, I could talk to people, sure, let's go ahead. So we set up all these interviews, like a month later. And I find out I'm interviewing for a scouting slash player development hybrid role. Okay, I'm like, all right, not baseball ops, but still something different. I, I can go back into my Google calendar. I had an interview on Monday, another one on Wednesday, then another one on Friday. It was um, analytics. It was scouting. And then the last one was player development. And then I get a text on Saturday from somebody in player development saying, hey, can you talk to our hitting coordinators on Monday? Wow. I was like, yeah, sure. I could figure this out. Now, mind you, I'm working a full-time job. As well as volunteer coaching for my college. Sure. And I'm a private instructor. So I'm working like 16 hours a day trying to put in all of these interviews at the same time. And of course, I'm talking with other teams. So that Monday, then I interview with the hitting coordinators. Wednesday, I actually get a job offer from another team for an internship. Okay. So I let the Red Sox know. The next day, I'm in the middle of... Um, act- it was like right in the middle of two different private lessons I had that they called me. And they, off- they said that we want to offer you a coaching job instead.
0: And at the time, did you know you were, like, at at this point, did you know you were up for a coaching job or did you thought it was something else?
1: No, I was, I still thought it was, like, maybe scouting and player development. Right. I had a pretty good idea that I would at least get a job just because they wanted me to talk to more people. When I told them about the job offer I already had, they're like, oh, yeah, you know, give us, give us, like, 24 hours. We'll figure out something. So I kind of had a good idea that, all right, they're going to offer me something, but I don't know what it Mm -hmm. I was not expecting the coaching job, even though that—I mean—that was most of my interview was how much I wanted to coach. So I was like, maybe it could be something. Maybe it's, I mean, player development would still be great. Yeah, I got that call, and I had—I had to try really hard not to scream on the phone. Right. I was, right. so was going to
0: ask, how was that feeling? So they—they they make this offer, and it's like, how, how? Like, how? Yeah. How did you feel? How did you react to this?
1: Of course. I mean, I was excited. I. I had to get myself first of all to say thank you and to talk. Sure, so I was again trying not to scream. Um, had a little bit of time before my next uh, lesson, so did the basics. You know, that's that's great. Uh, can I get you know two days to think about it? They obvious, you know, let me calm down first. <laughs> You, so you still, <laughs> even
0: and even after all this you still hit the stall you were like give me I need, I need some time to consider this one
1: hey it's been ingrained in my head by my parents you never just accept the first offer
0: what all right i hear you i hear you so
1: i was like and again i was i was yes really excited but i'm also yeah, yeah. focused on the next lesson i'm like sure, i need you got, you got, to you got things process you got
2: things this
1: again. right so they're like yeah of course man we, we completely understand as soon as i got off that call i called my sister Mm-hmm. Tell her I got the job offer, and she screamed on the phone for me.
2: <laughs> good, good.
1: And then finished calling, finished talking up with her. I run back into the facility because I had to step out. Um, some of the guys, some of the kids I was working with were still in there. I run back into the facility and just start yelling that I'm going to Fort Myers, like I'm, because I'm, I'm, they That's knew awesome. I was going for these jobs.
0: That's awesome. So
1: they they were the next people to know. They got really excited. Um, and then for the next month, it was interesting. I actually didn't tell my parents first. Um,
0: Why not? I know you're close to your parents.
1: Well, I wanted to surprise them. Okay. So one, I didn't tell them I was interviewing at all because my parents get—they are so supportive and so confident in me getting a job.
0: Right. It could be. a They bit will much. go
1: out and buy gear before I even get the. Yeah. They see next that's interview. too
0: much. That's too much. Yeah. So that's
1: I'm like, just, I'm not it's even going to bother telling them until I actually get a job. Okay. So then I'm thinking, all right, I'd already talked to the Red Sox once I accepted the job we we all agreed hey we're going to tr- we're not going to really say anything we're not going to post this we're not going to publicize this we're going to let this all come out with the rest of the coaching staff so i'm thinking oh great i have plenty of time i'm going to make this a christmas present for my parents like i went out and bought hats i was going to surprise them at christmas but then a couple days later i get a call from one of our assistant gms uh raquel sure. ferreira and she's you know introducing herself and then she asks well have you told your parents yet and i went no i'm i'm trying to surprise them she goes Things like these don't stay secret very long. You right. want to tell it now and not let them find out through social media. I would, and she's like, I wouldn't be surprised if this comes out in the next couple of days. Especially because I forgot I I was speaking on a panel mm. with Major League Baseball, and they'd already announced that I was joining the Red Sox. So, so
0: that, like, yeah, it's just hard to, to the, keep it under wraps. Yeah, yeah,
1: like somebody on that panel is going to pick it up. They're going to announce it. You need to tell your parents. So call my parents. End up telling them that. Funny enough, though, it never came out.
2: Even Oh. After
0: the so Still I though, got the
1: that's, job offer early December.
0: Right, but it's got to be hard to keep a secret for a long time of this well, nature. Like,
1: so I mean, for, like, I, I told my close friends. I told yeah, my team, so obviously. I sister, didn't want yeah, them finding yeah. out through social media. Okay. okay I wanted okay. to be the one to tell them, hey, I'm going to be leaving. I'm joining. But I told the people I trusted to keep it a secret. Yeah, yeah true, true. So true. we managed to keep it a secret until... I think it was Christmas Eve, actually. Um, One of my friends who was working for another team at the time, first of all, told me, yeah, this is awesome. You realize this is a big deal. And I was like, no, 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 it's not that big a deal. Well, he ended up telling, um, you know, a reporter with the Boston Globe.
0: Oh, geez. Of all places.
1: Yeah. The reporter texted me December 31st and went, hey, we got to release the story because my editor's upset that I'm holding on to this.
0: And this is all December 21. This is going into 22. Or is this 20 yeah. going into twenty? Oh, this is
1: 20 going into 21.
0: 21 on Twitter. I so it's been right. about yeah. a
1: month that we yeah, yeah. managed to keep the secret. Oh, that's amazing. So I'm like, all right, you know, that's fine. Go ahead. Um, I got the okay from the Red Sox. I'm like, hey, I get it. You got to release the story. I'm still thinking it's not going to be that big a deal. Five minutes later, he posted on Twitter. I was like, all right, well, thanks. Thanks for the five-minute heads up. Right. <laughs> A couple of you know more friends who might not have heard about it. Uh, a lot of coaches reached out, said congratulations, and it's still you know not that big a deal. You know, I got a little bit of a uh, little bit of publicity, and then I get a text from my um, the friend who told the Globe. Well, wait until the wait until the holidays pass. Right now it's a weekend and it's the holidays. That's why nobody's picking this up yet. Sure. Again, I'm still thinking, nah, it's going to be fine. Thank God I was home at the time like with my parents in texas because chris or new year's eve passes new year's passes then january 2nd um start to pick up a little bit more i got a couple of interview requests and then i head back to wisconsin where i'm working with my team
2: mm-hmm.
1: i'm in the middle of a lesson it's like seven eight o'clock at night middle of a lesson my phone just starts vibrating like crazy i like, I don't have time to look at it. I, I glanced at it briefly, and I just see all these text messages and notifications. I'm like, all right, I have no idea what's going on. A parent walks in, looks at me, pulls out their phone and goes, tell me why you're all over MLB Network right now. And I was like, what? So finally, I take the time. I step back. Oh, I take awesome. a look. And the Red Sox had tweeted that they hired me as a coach. Yeah. No warning.
0: <laughs> that's awesome.
1: any heads up and that's when everything just completely exploded
0: a little bit heads up like it's gonna come out somehow somewhere yeah
1: Um, guys could have given me a little heads and so my phone is going crazy awesome for like a week i i again i have it in my google calendar it just became interview after interview after interview we got overwhelmed we eventually had to do the giant zoom call with everybody i'm like look guys i'm still working a full-time job
0: sure let me let me ask this because um, I've read and it was alluded to that even with all of this, the historic nature of the hire was something you didn't know about, like you didn't pick up on, right? Until was it your sister or somebody told you that it's like, yo, we're this is a historic historic hire.
1: I actually knew. Okay, just, you didn't know. I'll be honest. I just didn't care. Right. That's really what it was like. I knew I was the. I obviously, I, I had to know I was the first black woman to be hired because I knew all all the other women coaches who who'd gone before me. Okay, so I was very aware I was the first black woman. But to me, it was just, I get a, I get to, I get paid to coach.
2: Right.
1: Besides being a private instructor and being a youth academy coach, I'd never actually gotten paid to coach a team. I had never. I'd always been a volunteer coach. I always had mm-hmm. part time jobs on the side. Or in the case of um, you know when I was at Carol, I was their full time assistant athletic director, and volunteering as a coach. So I was not paying attention to the historic aspect at all. For, again, for me, my my goal was just I just want to coach, and this mm-hmm. was a great opportunity where I got to make a living at coaching.
0: I'm jumping ahead a little bit now because we will go back and talk about you know the year and the, and the journey and so forth, but because you said it that way when you got hired you knew but it wasn't top priority you just wanted to coach 2 years later removed from the actual frenzy that we're describing do you reflect on the historic nature of the hire because you're still you're still coaching you're still in it and it's very hard for someone who's in it not to look at what's the next lesson what's the next task what's the next team have you had a chance to sit with close people and or reflect and say, yo, this is this is different. This is when it says first. A lot of people take first for granted. But this is a truly historic. But have you had a chance to reflect on that?
1: Yeah. And I still have mixed feelings about it, honestly. Um, I, I do reflect back mainly when I have, you know, women, particularly women of color who reach out to me and say, you know, this is inspiring, even if it's not even if they don't want to work in baseball just getting them giving them that push to try something new especially if they don't see another woman of color doing that job so i like i reflect on that part where it's nice being able to help other people realize that they can pursue a goal even if somebody who doesn't look like them is doing it yet at the same time there have been times where i've actually hated the title mhm Because that's a lot of times, that's what people focus on the most. Where again, I just, I want to be the best coach I can be. I don't care about being the first black woman coach. I care about being a great coach that players want to work, want to, you know, play for. So when people tend to focus just on that, then I start to get frustrated because it's for me, it's like, you're, you're ignoring the fact that like, I would have got, if I wasn't the first black woman, like nobody would have cared. Like Mm -hmm. I I would have just been a coach Mm -hmm. and that's really all I'm looking to do. That's all I want to do. I don't like, I I tell people if I end my career at any point and the only thing people remember me as is the first black woman coach, I did not do my job. Mm. I did not do well. I want to be just known as a great coach. So again, I have mixed feelings. I appreciate the representation. I appreciate what this means to so many people, Mm -hmm. but Again, I didn't go out to make history. I went out to do a job that I love to do, and you know that's what I'm looking for next. Is all right now. I want to get to the next step. I want to get to the next level. I want to eventually, you know, be a manager. I don't want, and I I hate that it's when I make it, it's probably still going to be you know the first black woman to be a manager, mm-hmm. and I'm going to have to deal with it all over again. Mm-hmm. Where it's like I don't care about that. I just want to be a great manager. So again, I get I get mixed feelings, but um. I definitely appreciate it a little bit more now than I did back then.
0: And who do you, because I know we'll talk about your background and, and, and that stuff as well, but are, are there figures, maybe even in history, that you look on to see like, hey, look, I'm dealing with this. I can't really call a lot of people because they're not in my shoes. They haven't dealt with this. Do you kind of, is there a place in you that, looks to see what pioneers went through entrepreneurs went through leaders went through women went through civil rights folks Jackie went through do you is that a part of your plan or, or do you just kind of take it as it comes
1: little of both I mean I do have um so like growing up I'd always admired of course Jackie Robinson uh Martin Luther King Jr. Derek Jeter was my favorite player just I was gonna not- ask you
0: I knew that's coming yeah. I was gonna ask you about Jeter
1: yeah. no, he it, it, And he wasn't my favorite player because of what, like his actual performance. It's just the way he carried himself. Mm-hmm. And that's what inspired me. And, um, you know, my parents growing up, they put a lot of uh, emphasis on not having idols. They made mm-hmm. sure, yes, we could have people we look up to. We could have, you know, athletes and leaders that we look up to, but they're still human. Mm-hmm. So just recognize that that they're still human, they're going to make mistakes. You can aspire to, you know, emulate certain parts of them, but you still have to be you as well. So it is it's a little of both where I just kind of, yeah, I take it as it comes, knowing mm-hmm. that there aren't many people I could reach out to about, you know, certain situations. Thankfully, most of the, I mean, a lot of I haven't really had to deal with a lot where I've had to call somebody.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: But yeah, particularly Jackie Robinson, of course, just because. Baseball related, um, sure. It's different. I mean, for you know, whether an athlete or just in sports versus another industry, it's just going to be different.
0: So, talk to me about the actual coaching part. Coaching at some of the highest levels or the highest level you can possibly coach at. How was that experience for you? Did it feel? just to be honest is is coaching pro players a lot like you experience at coaching with college players or the academy i'm i'm sure they have more skill but the things that you're looking for the way that they react to you in particular did you find some of it sim- simplistic in the sense of you're just now now you're just a coach and there's a player on the field or did all of the stuff we're talking about does that also play into how the the journey goes on the field, how the teaching goes.
1: Well, the joy of um, players, especially nowadays, is they don't care who you are as long as you want to help them.
2: Mm -hmm.
1: And I've told people this, you know, especially ones who've asked, like, have you ever faced resistance, stuff like adversity, stuff like that? I've never had a problem with the player. Never. I mean, they're usually the first ones to embrace me. Um, Actually, when I got the job, Christian Arroyo, sent me a message on Instagram saying, Mm -hmm. you know, congratulations, welcome, you know, can't wait to get to work. So it's always been the players who really reached out and really embraced me as a coach. And, um, you know, I I actually, I wasn't sure how they were going to react when I came in. I Mm -hmm. I approached it the same way I do with my college players. I give them the time to get to use, used to me. I learn who they are as a person, what kind of personality they have, how I should approach them as a coach you know, I had some players who immediately came up to me, welcomed me, started talking. We got to know each other. Others took a took a little while, and that's fine. That's I prefer to let them become comfortable with me versus me forcing myself on them sure. because that tends the backfire. But uh, it wasn't until I think it was towards the end of last season. I was talking to some players, and I had mentioned, you know, a drill that I'd used with some of my hitters at Carroll University. And one of them goes, wait, you coached before this? <laughs> and I'm thinking. No, pull, pull <laughs> me just the my first job. Yeah, right. And they're like, well, <laughs> yeah, we, we thought you were like right out of college. <laughs> and I'm just blown away because one I'm thinking, well, I guess they just assume, you know, it's the Red Sox, they're going to hire quality coaches. You don't have to question it. Yeah, but yeah. the fact that they thought I was basically their age right out of college, never coached before never i guess they they also didn't know i'd played and they You're were stuck. still listening to me right that's the thing, like they were still taking it everything that entire year they would still have been listening and they assumed this was my first coaching job
2: that's so hilarious one, I was
1: like yeah i mean i've been first of all i've been in this game now i'm going into my 14th year Um mm-hmm. uh, been coaching for seven now and when i told them that they're just like Oh wow, so you've actually been doing this for a while. I'm like, yeah. I'm so- I've been doing this for <laughs> like, almost as long as some of you've been alive. I was gonna
0: say, I didn't I would think the next thing they'd be like is wow, you're older than we thought.
1: <laughs> oh no, no, There was that too. Oh, the number of players who were like, Yeah, we thought you were now 24 25. hanging out with us. I'm like, No, I'm older than that. I know I don't look it, but so yeah, it that I mean
0: That's hilarious. It,
1: that's it really hit me then. Like they just they don't care.
0: So, so tell me what type of coach is coach Bianca Smith? So when you're a player and maybe you're getting to know coach Smith or, or even your kind of ethos and, and values and principles as a coach, if somebody was to ask you who is coach Smith, what type of coach is coach Smith you would say?
1: Open-minded. Um, I'm going to ask questions, not just finding out you know, about the player, I encourage the players to question me. I tell every guy, if I give you a drill and you don't understand why we're doing it, ask me. And if I can't tell you why, we're not doing it. That means I haven't researched it enough. Everything we do, there's a reason behind it. And at the end of the career, if I did my job right, that means I am no longer needed. A player shouldn't need their coach after a while. They should be able to be their own best coach. We should just be there as a sounding board for advice, maybe a little bit more information. But for the most part, it's on them. I want them to be able to feel what they're doing. I want them to be able to make the adjustments. I encourage them to come up with their own drills. Mm -hmm. If they think a drill is going to help them better than the one I gave them, as long as they have a reason for it, we're going to try it. And then also just very honest. Mm -hmm. Players know I won't lie to them. I generally don't beat around the bush. I mean, it depends on what kind of player. If some of them needs a little bit, little bit more, uh, you know, positivity, I might spin it a little, bit, little bit more just to make them feel better. But for the most part, if I think you suck, I'm going to tell you you suck, and then mm-hmm. we're going to try to get better. So they know I'm not going to lie. I'm not going to go behind their back. I've got, I've had players who they might have an injury, they might be sore, they come to me because they know that. I might go to the manager to let them know, but I'm not going to go behind their back to tell the manager. I'm at least going to tell the player, "Hey, this is something I think we need to tell the manager," so they know I'm never going to, you know, just spill their secrets. I'm, I'm a coach that is for them. Like if, it, it, it doesn't matter what it doesn't matter what it looks for me. It doesn't matter my ego. I've got no problem saying I'm wrong. I've got no problem saying I don't know. Um, so that's really the type of coach I am, and this I'm starting to get better at. I do have a standard where if you make a mistake in the field, but you're giving 100%, I'm never going to be mad at you.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: If in that case, that's more of a reflection on my coaching. That means that I need we need to work some more. I need to do better. But if you make a mistake in the field because you're giving 80% when you could give 100, then we've got a problem. Mm-hmm. I do. I My pet peeve is lazy effort. Laziness. effort yeah. yeah. Especially as I'm an outfield and base running coach.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: You got to give a hundred percent the moment you get lazy and you make a mistake. That's momentum changes. So I never, and I, I set this early now where I'm like, I don't want you. I don't want to see you being fancy. And then you make a mistake. I don't want you seeing I I don't want to see you being lazy. You dive for a ball and you miss it, but you gave a hundred percent all for it. I want to see that aggressiveness. I want, I want to see you going all out, but I don't want you to see you backing away from a, a potential catch Because you just decide, oh, no, I don't feel like it. Or I was being lazy. I got a late jump.
0: Now, you are kind of, from what I've read in your background, you are kind of a hybrid in many ways of really kind of embracing a lot of the analytics and analytical parts of baseball and knowing kind of what works on the field. So we're still kind of living through it. Probably analytics is probably one out, honestly, in most GMs and in most organizations, but we're still living through some of the old school uh baseball guys. It's like, ah, we don't need numbers and we don't need this and launch angle, just do this. And and you so you've seen both. You've been on the field, you've been teaching it. How do you embrace kind of what you see with the eye test versus kind of embracing all of the analytics and and the stuff that you you deal with as a as a modern day coach in the game today?
1: So my first rule is there's no such thing as too much information. Mm. You gather as much as you can, and then you compartmentalize it, and you pick out the pieces that are going to be helpful for that player. Because the worst thing we can do as a coach is to turn down information because we think it's not going to help, and now we've missed that chance to work help that one player out because that piece of information would have worked. So there's always going to be players that they don't want the data, they don't want the analytics, and I'm perfectly fine with that. I won't give it to them, but I will use it to come up with drills to help them and then mm. explain it in a way that doesn't use the numbers. <laughs> so I'm still using the analytics. I'm just right. not right. it and then there's going to be players who want the analytics. Mm. And I'm perfectly fine with that as long as they understand what it's actually saying. So that that's where like the honesty part comes in. If there's a piece, there's if there's a number or a stat that I don't want a player having, I'm not just going to say no. I'm going to explain why I don't think they need it. Or mm. if they really want it, I'm going to explain what the numbers mean and then make sure we're working together to actually either try to improve it or, you know, manipulate it, whatever the, whatever the player's goal is. The key is just the conversation. So yes, there is, um, I believe there, there has to be a balance between the two. And it's funny, you know, a lot of old school coaches will say, you know, we don't need the numbers. Sure. Baseball's been using numbers since the 1800s.
0: This is the beginning of time. It's this just
1: is how a, they, is how they issue. <laughs> yeah. It's how they use it. And what numbers they're looking at. I'm sorry that we're now finding out that batting average isn't just good enough. Mm-hmm. Yes, batting average will tell you consistency, but it's not telling you, you know, what type of extra base hits he's hitting.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: We can still use, and there's and then there's, you've got the new school coaches who are saying, oh, we can't use average for anything. I'm like, no, right, like, average like is there's... still helpful because, again, it tells me how consistent is this player? How often is he actually getting on base? I mean, that's where on base percentage is, too, but... If you're ignoring, if I just want to see how a hitter is doing purely just making contact and getting hits, batting average,
2: mm-hmm.
1: that's what it's useful for. So there's there's a use for everything. It's just how you use it. So that's really how I've been trying to balance everything out and making sure that the players who want the data have access to the data. And the players who don't want the data, I can still use it to help them out. I actually don't. Compl- I trust the coaches who use the eye test. If they have that experience,
2: mm-hmm. for me,
1: I have not been in the game long enough, and I recognize this. I'm not. I haven't been in the game long enough to purely rely on the eye test. Mm-hmm. So, you, why they, would I do that to service the players by trying to just do that when I could have the data proving it for me? And now, I and since I know what I'm looking for in the eye test, I can still explain it as if I'd just been looking at them versus using numbers.
0: It's interesting that you say it that way because you've been watching baseball your entire life. You've, you've literally, <laughs> yeah. you have been watching baseball, and you said like even professionally. If it's been fourteen years, and you know you've been professionally coaching the game, you've been watching baseball your entire life. As a coach, do you watch the game differently now? Do you enjoy it the
2: Absolutely same?
1: Absolutely, it's different. Do I cannot you, watch. Like, oh, I, I'm you, still enjoying it. I was just saying you're one of those, but you yeah. can't just watch a normal I, game I, anymore. You know. No, and oh. I've tried. Trust me, I've tried. I've gone to Man. games. I don't know anybody. I don't know. Right. I just show up. I'm like, I just want to watch a baseball game. Two pitches in, I'm like, all right. Oh. Next pitch he's looking at. See, you my know, heart hurts a, a little, little bit for that, like, though. No, but see, that's the thing. This is how much I love coaching.
2: Mm-hmm. I
1: don't mind doing that. If mm-hmm. anything, it helps me get better. Being able to go to a game where I don't know a single person, I don't know sure. their background, I've never seen their swing, and now I still have to evaluate. So I'm getting better as a coach. I'm learning more about the game itself because there's always something to learn. I'm mm-hmm. never going to know everything about this game. It's just it's changing now. <clears throat> so I do enjoy being able to watch it as just a coach. I mean, as a coach, I don't have to just watch it as a fan. And that's <laughs> one of the why, yes, the eye test, it's different, even though I've been watching it for years. Sure. I've never watched it as a coach. I haven't started doing that until I actually started coaching. Mm. So it's a little different. Not then there are some parts where I can rely on the eye test because, again, outfield, base running, we don't have a lot of data on that. We don't have a lot of stats and uh, a lot of technology for that. So we have to rely on the eye test. But hitting, why are we just going to rely on the eye test when we could actually slow it down or use numbers? Why not just do both? Now the numbers are just proving what you saw.
0: No, it's it's not
1: taken away from anything.
0: I think you're right. When I say that, I'm going to say note to self, do not invite Coach Smith to my son's Little League baseball game because she's <laughs> going to be analyzing swings. No, I'm just joking. Um, Coach, I do want to 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 get into a little bit of your journey and your background because, like you said, a lot of players were surprised to know the extent extensive history you've had in the game. I think a lot of fans, casual fans, people that may have heard your name or read an article, have no idea of the lengths that you went through to get where you are today. And what I mean by that, and 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 I told you this a little bit off the air, and I want to be very clear because your journey is indeed amazing. Ultimately, Historic, whether whether you like it or not, I'll I will push back on you a little bit on that, and I'll continue to because it is. It's an amazing story. It's an amazing journey, and it ultimately ended up with with a piece of history that the game will never it can't be can't be duplicated. What people don't know, and part of this makes me very angry, thinking about it, is you went to Dartmouth, you got an Ivy League degree, you played. On the softball team you're a manager there you've got not one but two graduate degrees you're you're a freaking lawyer as well over top of all of this stuff you've worked in scouting departments you've worked in GM like in the front offices of major league teams you've taken every internship possible so not it, it the, the part that does make me angry is that if I put any white man's resume, that has the the stuff that you have on it and the journey that you've went through. It does not. It 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 just it's different. It's different because society's different. And I will say that you don't have to say that, but talk to me about that journey because there were parts in it where even after you'd worked, I think for some major league clubs where. You're like, "Man, I don't really know if if I if I have the capacity to keep going and do this. I know what I want to do, but you know, and, and I'll and I'll end with this because I did read in, in an amazing article that with all the stuff we talked about, you sent out I want to say you contacted like 100 D1 coaches. You contacted <laughs> uh you know, uh, 20, 30, 40 different organizations. And to get to where you were, You are and it's, it is phenomenal, but it is to me really long overdue with the stuff that you have done. So talk to me about just how was that journey? And I, and I want people to know, so I, I, you don't have to go through all the, all the college and all that stuff, but you have worked in, I, I want them to know what you've worked in because it's front offices of major league baseball programs, academies, college baseball programs. It is an extensive background that led to this historic moment. I don't think people know enough about it.
1: Yeah, so um, I will try to – I'll give it briefly. Yeah. Um, but like you said, went to Dartmouth College. I not only played varsity softball and managed the team, I was actually on the club baseball team as well, and I was a cheerleader.
0: Yeah, that
1: was – was <laughs> yes. I was, I was like, so, word? Oh, yeah, I can still do a did, high how kick. How did you have the time? Oh, I didn't sleep. I also okay. worked right. Yeah, no, I didn't. I didn't sleep. Uh, I take a look at my Google calendar now and I literally I would work until one o'clock in the morning. Go back to my or go back to my dorm and then I'd have lift at like six. yeah. Uh, so, yeah, I just I just didn't sleep. But uh, so, yeah, no, went to Dartmouth. I uh, took a year off before going to Case Western. Yep. Got my law and my business degree. I worked as the graduate assistant coach as well as the director of baseball operations all four years. I was a teaching assistant for our sports management class, compliance assistant for two years. I was the secretary for the Black Law Students Association, the president of our sports management society. I was the assistant general manager one summer for a collegiate uh, summer team. And uh, a lot of people also don't know my last year because, you know, I had nothing else to do.
0: Nothing else to do.
1: And I was a cheerleader during the fall, and I was the one of the coaches during the spring. So I did that while I was in grad school. It was actually That's really amazing. cool. I had um, We had one game. Was it? This is why it was cool for me, because <laughs> players at state like Western, my last year when I joined the tier team, yeah, they kind of messed with me about it. Because anybody who knows me really well, I'm not the cheerleader type. But I love stunting. I was a base. I'm like bottom of the pyramid. And I love being strong enough to do that. So one of our um, during the fall homecoming, we always had the blue and white series. So alumni would come back. We'd have our inner squad scrimmage. But our homecoming game was right after our our series would end. So I was in the dugout that morning in my cheer outfit, you know, taking care of everything for the baseball team. And Are then you I'd kidding run a, I ran over to the football game just in time to start cheering with the football team. Well, once once all the baseball players were done, they all came to the game, sat right in front, right where they could see the cheerleaders, and were cheering us on.
0: That's great. I thought that was
1: awesome.
0: That's great. And and then it led to front office. Your first dream was front office, right? It wasn't actually coaching?
1: I thought I wanted to be a general manager um, because I wanted some say on the field. Should have known right then I wanted to be a coach, but (laughs) never thought about it. (laughs) So I worked for the Texas Rangers. I was a baseball ops intern. They sent me to scout school after that, which led to my next internship as a scouting bureau intern in the commissioner's office. That's when I decided I wanted to coach. I needed to coach full time. So I reached out to, yes, nearly every D1 coach that I could find email address for. I think I got um, maybe around 20 responses. Out, out of, of like 100,
2: 100 emails. Yeah, yeah.
1: Only one actually offered me a position. And Unfortunately, it wasn't enough money. That I could make the move.
2: Sure,
1: I'm still in touch with that coach. He's still awesome. So I moved back home and lived with my parents. I worked as a volunteer coach for the University of Dallas, and I worked seven part-time jobs at the same time to pay for my apartment. One of them was a youth academy coach for the Rangers. Sure, so I was doing that. Took an internship with the Cincinnati Reds. Moved back to or moved to Cincinnati. <clears throat> they knew I was interested in coaching, so even though I was in the front office, they uh, got me on the minor league side got to do the boards, pay attention to all that, got to help with, I was helping with the advanced scouting report. About halfway through that internship, I reached out to the coaches, the major league coaches asking for advice because it kind of hit me. I was like, "Wait a minute, I have access to these coaches." Sure. See what they have. And this was also the point just mentally where my mindset kind of changed the way that I was going about things. Prior to that, and I try to give this advice to, you know, students who are trying to get in the game. Prior to that, it was always the Oh, I have to do everything I'm supposed to. You know, this is your first internship. You're just trying to look good. You're trying to make the team look good. Great. My first day, I walked in. I looked around at the other interns and went. Wait, am I allowed to curse on this?
0: <laughs> Speak your okay. mind. Speak your mind, All coach.
1: Right. I walked in and I went, fuck this. I am the oldest intern here.
2: Right. right. I am tired
1: of the shit. So I was like, I'm going to do my job, but I got a goal. Mm. And if that means I got to go around people and just figure out a way to do it, that's what I'm doing. I'm tired of playing by the rules. Okay. So that's when, you know, I started, re- I reached out to the coaches. They, um, they were great. They were like, yeah, you know, once we are back in town, we could sit down, have a talk with you. Never had a chance to do that because they're busy. So, you know, some people might've just given up and been like, sure. all right, we're busy.
0: Yeah. We tried.
1: Yeah. I printed out the advance report before the reds. So all of the, our players Went down during batting practice. I got all my work done in the morning, went down during batting practice, just took notes on everything I could see, the players, the coaches, how they were interacting, swings, fielding. The assistant hitting coach at the time, Donny Acker, noticed me, talked to the manager, David Bell, and like two days later, I'm on the field. Nice. Now I'm in like my business casual, feeling really awkward. The grounds crew yelled at me for stepping on the grass. The hitting coach <laughs> is like, no, come over here, come to the turtle. So I got to start talking to the players every day after batting practice. One of the coaches came up and asked, what questions do you have? What do you see? Like, what do you not know? And that got me thinking as well. So then I remember talking to David and saying, hey, now all I need is uniform. He's like, "Um," and he's like, well, we can get on that. I yeah. thought he was, broken, by right. the way. Oh, wow. We're, we're still talking. And I was like, yeah, actually, if you guys ever need any help, like catching in, just let me know. And he says, well, do you have your glove? I said, yeah, it's in my car. He goes, all right, start bringing it. Let's see what you can do. So now I get to dress out. I'm kept, I'm warming up the coaches. I'm warming up the players. I'm catching in for the infielders. I'm still helping out with the hitters. During the game, I'm now in the clubhouse. I'm monitoring hitter swing selection based off of a, an equation that I came up with with our analyst. And then the second to last day I was with them. Because at this point, you know, now I, I took the job at Carroll. I'll explain in a second. But my second to last
0: Because all of this I, is an internship.
1: Yes, this is all an internship. So, so which, people
0: got to realize like all of this is your ambition on an internship with the Reds. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And
1: I give so much credit to the Reds because not many teams who are going to let their baseball ops intern spend, you know, like four hours in the morning doing all their work.
2: Mm-hmm. And then the
1: rest of the day with the uh, major league staff when that was not their job at all. Mm-hmm. But they let me do it. But so, yeah, my second to last day with them, I walk into the clubhouse and there's a jersey with my name and number hanging nice. up on one of the floors
0: that's
1: so nice i was just like oh my god you know i'm just like touching it i was like oh my god this is awesome
2: yeah. i go
1: out to the batting practice and the equipment manager you know our clubby comes in, comes over and goes, why aren't you wearing your jersey i said i'm scared of getting it dirty he goes no no no, no go put it on <laughs> oh, oh no i have my jersey that that's last awesome day, you know, the coaching staff the players i mean i had one of the players asking if i was going to be traveling with them
2: yeah
1: uh, pretty much at By the end of my internship, I had a chance to talk to pretty much every player. You know, the coaches said, since I'm heading up to Wisconsin, they're like, yeah, anytime we play the Brewers, if you want to come, let us know. We'll get you tickets. We'll get you on the field again. So um, I did take uh, a job with Carroll University. I was their assistant athletic director for compliance and administration. Okay. And I took that job because they agreed to let me coach as well.
0: Right. So you to You, head are head vo- you were, uh, took the assistant yeah, AD sure. job, but you were a volunteer coach as well.
1: Yeah. So I was a volunteer assistant coach. Mind you, I just went from an intern to an assistant AD. This was my first full time job ever.
0: Jeez. With an assistant Jeez. AD. <laughs> That's crazy.
1: That was a huge jump. I went sure. from basically listening to everybody and being the gopher. Sure. So I now have to delegate everything. Sure.
0: Yeah, absolutely.
1: So, um, but so not only that, three months into the job with the baseball team, I tell the head coach, Hey, I'm interested in learning more on the hitting side. You know, I was more on the pitching side when I joined the Reds, they kind of converted me. So I want to keep learning more of that on that. And he goes, okay, you're a hitting coordinator. Mm-hmm. And I was like, what?
0: Let's but make yeah, it happen.
1: Yeah. You're a hitting coordinator. So that first semester or that first season, a lot of it was more me running the drills and uh, our head coach would still kind of plan everything, but he just trusted me to be there and run everything. During COVID, I spent all of that time, you know, getting every hitting and pitching certification that I could find or afford. Mm. I did a biomechanics certificate. I did a, um, I actually audited a class at Carroll where I did uh, the basics of human anatomy and physiology. So now I'm trying to learn more about the body. After all of this, I put together a whole new program for the hitting or for our hitters, and our head coach just basically let me run with it. So by my second season, I'm running the entire program. And this is when, you know, the Red Sox ended up reaching out to me. So I didn't get to spend the entire season with them. But they they finished 20-20. and It was their first non-losing season in years. They were predicted to finish ninth in the conference. They finished third. First time in the conference tournament. I think we led the conference in home runs. We had one player who broke three different hitting records. So just getting to see all of that. And, of course, still in touch with them. Last offseason, I spent three weeks during the preseason volunteering with them. I'm gonna be heading back there in, in a couple of weeks. Um, that's amazing. Yeah, that was that on top of like the certificates, all of the side jobs, the internships. I mean, I understand where you're coming from. Where, I was gonna yeah. say, so I was
0: I was gonna say this and I was gonna try to say it as polite as possible because you just rate it down. But I want the audience to know what Coach Smith has been through and and where we are. Because just hearing it, I'm still angry, Coach Smith. I'm still very, very angry that this. And then again, everybody's journey is different. I know, I know, everybody's journey is different. I've had so previous uh, to you coming on as 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 a guest, I've interviewed all five Division One uh, African American head coaches that are that are coaching outside of HBCUs. Mm-hmm. Um, so all of them tell the story of the challenge of volunteer coaching and all of the things that makes it a barrier, right? It makes it a barrier for young African-American coaches to work in college baseball. It's just, there's a lot of, a lot of difficult days and you're doing them all and you've done them all coach. I really have to, there's a couple of things I want to ask and I want to, um, Oh, I want to get to it. Now. And I know you've been really, really gracious with your time. So I want to be really respectful of that as well. So um, I do, I do have to ask before we go to the rapid fire, uh, since you you know, you've been a, a pro coach now, I know places like Nike and tops and all of <laughs> these amazing things have happened. Um, what is that? Like talk to me a little bit about what's that like.
1: That was mind blowing. Honestly. Um, I mean, yeah, I never expected to have my own baseball card.
0: It's an Allen and Ginzer card, right?
1: Yeah. No, like is, it, that's crazy. Awesome. Um, of course, you know, I, I ended up. So it's funny because when they first sent me the first batch to sign, I asked them, hey, can I have a couple more so, you know, I can give to family and friends? I'm thinking like, you know, 20. They send me a box of 100. <laughs> I reach out to my agent. I'm like, hey, am I supposed to sign these two? She goes, no, those are for you. That's I'm awesome. Like, Okay, great. Now I gotta figure out how to who I'm gonna give all these to. Ended up giving one to like every player at Carroll. Um, <laughs> so yeah, no, that was cool. Well, look,
0: if if you still have some, I'm a <laughs> bit of a collector myself, so let me know.
1: That's I yeah, awesome. hey, send me your address, I'd be happy to send one.
0: Hey, that's off the air. We'll do that off the air. No, I got you. Um,
1: uh, but no, like Nike was amazing. Like that one, they've been incredibly generous. Yeah, awesome. uh, it's it's funny because like so one of my brothers is a professional soccer player and he's an adidas athlete so once i got the nike contract like he used to give us or he gives us adidas shoes every christmas and once i got the nike contract i'm like hi you, you can't give me adidas shoes anymore oh, you I said you give him
0: nike shoes that's, that's yeah, awesome
1: yeah. yeah so we always have to get a separate present for each other but you know my parents are living it up because they get adidas they get nike
0: that's awesome and
1: most of my stuff i'm spending on them
0: Coach, I'm going to. This has been phenomenal. We've got to do have to do this again. I'm going to get you out on a couple of rapid fire questions, and then we're going to call it a day. Right. Um, coach, I love asking all of my guests this question, and I, now and I will ask you. It's almost a tradition here at the Black Baseball Mixtape. If you can face any pitcher, living or dead, who do you step in the box and, and stare down? Who do you face, and why?
1: This is going to sound like I'm a masochist, but Randy Johnson.
0: I love it. That's a, and I you're, I mean, I, it's dangerous, but I love it. Yeah, I,
1: I, n- I will never, I would never be able to hit off of him, but just to be able to say that I faced him.
0: A lot and of people, I love a, love the lot, challenge. <laughs> a lot of people have said Bob Gibson. And I was like, you guys are crazy, but Randy Johnson also equally dangerous. Very, very scary. Um, Coach, favorite baseball movie growing up? Rookie of the Year. That Rosenblatt?
1: (laughs) Is
0: that the one?
2: That's the one.
0: Yep. Oh, man. That's a a good one. That's a good one. Coolest person that has texted you, called you, or DM'd you to say, like, congratulations. Ooh. Like one that's like I can't believe I, I like
1: that one's hard. So like I said, Christian Arroyo reached out, which I thought was really cool. That's really cool having a player reach out. Um, that one's hard. I had I had uh, a lot
0: of, that's a good I one. A lot
1: of uh, I okay. I will I will say this at least this past weekend at the convention I did have uh Tim Corbin. Say how excited, yeah, how excited he was to meet me because so many people have been talking to him about me.
0: Vandy boys, I was
1: like, all right, yeah, that, that's pretty cool too.
0: <laughs> get, so I was gonna ask, and, I, and we alluded to it, so I'll ask on the last, the second to last question: Have you met Derek Jeter?
1: No, Derek Jeter, no, no, and I want to. So I, and I will say, I, I've been in this game long enough that I typically do not fangirl. i met him i probably might that that was the first jersey i ever bought i saved up my money for my allowance so i could buy his jersey i grew up literally grew up watching him play that was my mom's favorite player my favorite player
0: that's awesome
1: i got i cried like when he broke his ankle and thought he was gonna be done (laughs) (laughs) oh my god i love watching him play so
0: that's funny we've had uh Randy Wilkins on the show, who is the director of the captain of uh he's been on the podcast. So that was a really fun. That's the closest I will ever get to Derek Jeter, by the way. But uh, but that that's awesome. Coach, I'm gonna let you go. This has been a real, real pleasure and a real treat for me. Uh, I am excited about being able to talk to you, but I'm also excited about what you're gonna continue doing in the game. Anyone that listens to the last uh you know, any minutes of the conversation we've had can already see that you're oozing with passion about the game. You're oozing with passion about teaching the next generation of players. Um, and again, I know you have got to keep one one foot in front of the other. So other people will do it for you. But coach, it is an honor. One of these days, it'll, it'll probably hit you in a wave of... The fact that this you are in the history books and you will forever be in the history books, and it is awesome, awesome to talk to you. So, thank you so much for the time, Coach.
1: I appreciate it. Thanks again for having me on.
0: We'll have to do it sometime as the season continues on, because I'm sure there's a, a ton of new stories that that you probably have more stories than than most people, and uh, we got to get to to many more of them. So,
1: I, I definitely have some interesting ones.
0: That is awesome, ladies and gentlemen. This is the Black Baseball Mixtape. Please follow. Coach, where can everybody follow you as you continue your journey?
1: I'm on Twitter and Instagram. Both of my handles are Bianca Smith 12
0: There you have it. Until next time, ladies and gentlemen, we see it.